You're listening to The Open Podcasts. The start of the 116th Open. Excitement and anticipation run deep, especially for the 153 golfers waiting, hoping, praying and dreaming that this year might, just might, be their year. I'd prepared myself well. I'd uh, been thinking about it for a couple of months prior. But then you're a bit apprehensive because you don't, you really don't know what's in store with golf. And sometimes you feel great and you play lousy. So you're always a little apprehensive. But, uh, you know, I had this strange feeling that maybe something was going to happen. The little voice on my shoulder said, you ain't good enough, mate. Well, that's two, three putts in a row. You're always, you're always striving as a sportsman to, to improve. I mean, you think you have to. Very, very great competitor. So why do I, how do I sort out this swing? Look, this whole goal was to win the Open, and I didn't realize what effort we were going to put into it. Still trying to find some sort of rhythm. He was a, he was a perfectionist on the course. I think we were well suited. I mean, I knew we were going to work hard, but I mean, he really worked hard at it. You have to fail and fail and fail to learn. Also struggling Englishman, Nick Felder realizing I had to take my game, everything to a new level. To me, what I remember is that our focus was now and forwards. You get players that are dedicated and they're focused, but not to the same extent that he was. I mean, he was just like one track minded. Okay, this is what I want to do. This is my goal. Nothing's going to get in the way of it. He's really got to get it together now. Other people were saying, do you think you should, maybe you should think about a club pro job? Yeah, honestly, that sort of thing. Well, now. This for a four, Faldo. You can think and believe you can do something, yeah, but then you have to have trust to really know you can do something. Oh, well done. That's quite a journey. It's not, it's not a five-minute job, this game, is it? Muirfield in 87. Well, you know, I... I went there feeling good. I mean, that's, so that's again psychology, the, the psychology of this game. There were, the signs had been coming. I remember they used to have a, a tournament opposite the Masters, Hattiesburg, Mississippi or something. I always read because he told me, you know, he was in the airport in Atlanta and he met Sandy or somebody, you know, I mean, he, Nick was going one way to Hattiesburg and, you know, somebody else, whoever else he met was going to Augusta. And, you know, he said it felt rather strange. But that really was the start because he actually he finished second there, this sort of smaller satellite tournament, if you want to call it that. And then, um, you know, he really, you know, his confidence really started to build from then on in. And he, he won the Spanish Open prior to uh, Muirfield. Going back to when I won the Spanish Open, I said to myself, Right, I need, to be, I need to win one more before the Open. And then the little boy said, no, you're all right, mate, you're going to win the Open. Here you'll see some of the mannerisms of Faldo, the turning of the wrists, the, the waggling turn, there it is, the one that he prepares the angle of his backswing. He's worked for years on now. Compact swing. The welcome applause as his ball arrives safely on the green. He, he was sort of in, in good form. It, it was, and, and the funny thing was, it was pretty close to the two years that we predicted, that we sort of set aside to sort of get this experiment, shall we say, concluded. 
And David said, this is the best you've ever swung, so that makes you feel good and that sort of thing. So off we go to Muirfield. But for that something to happen, Nick Faldo has to make the leap from good to great because only the greatest win at Muirfield on a distinctive Lynx course regarded by all as one of the toughest yet fairest courses in golf. They're all great holes out there, really. So I never forget, I was messing around with the, my putter. I went down to bend it, put some loft or whatever. And I, as I walked past the giant yellow scoreboard there, I, there's, you know, there's no names out there, but I saw Faldo at the top. And I said, all right, and I looked at it, went, okay, well, that's all right, I can handle that, and just kept walking. So little things like that. Nevertheless, still in very good shape. Oh, what a great What a good four that was. Adventurous, but on that card, it all looks the same. What a good putt. I think I birdied the first three. Played with Ray Floyd, I think with Jumbo. So knocked it in. So started great and then boom and hanging on and, and the weather was rough, you're in, you're in and out, your waterproofs all the time. As the weather deteriorates and Muirfield reveals its claws, the wind blows, the rain falls and scores rise. Englishman Nick Faldo is one of those facing the worst of the weather and taking the brunt of its anger. I can't remember what I shot first two days. <laughs> 68, 69. This putt for a round of 69. And nicely done, Faldo. He stays five under. So that fine round of 69 by Nick Faldo keeps him at five under for his completed two rounds. Yeah, I'm obviously delighted. You know, anything to get in under par on a day like today was, was hard work. So then the Saturday morning comes, doesn't it? Oh, so we kind of lucked out because it was coming in stair rods, you know. And a sand needle shot like 71 in a monsoon. The early starters are numbed. But in front of him, one man is playing one of the greatest foul weather runs in the history of the championship, Sandy Lyle. Well, that's a great round of golf. And as he finishes his round, the leaders go out. And I guess I lucked out. It wasn't raining. It was still rough and everything. What a day to be out in this sort of weather. Swinging well. So that was the other, so that we got through that day. I should have leveled, I should have leveled, should have still five under here. Now Faldo with this putt to go into the clubhouse as joint leader at six under par. No, no, that was a tentative one. A disappointing uh, final hole, but an excellent round. Both men score level past 71s. And so round three ends as it began, with Paul Isinger a one-shot leader. But the pack gathers, snapping at his heels. For tomorrow, only one can win. Then we come to, to Sunday. I wasn't there. I can't remember the reason why I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Obviously, I was watching. I was glued closely to the TV, but obviously, people who were there remember. I mean, it was, I mean, the weather wasn't great. It was misty and windy and cold. As cold reality, Hole one, day four of the Open, reasserts itself. So the funny thing about Sunday is the famous yellow sweater. I picked that out on Monday. I used to go to Pringle 10 and, then get, and Derek Douglas with it. And he said, so what do you, which one do you want to win on Sunday? And I went, that one. So that famous yellow sweater, I've still got it. So you wrap up and off you go. But as you saw, it, it was true Scottish pea soup, that weather, the, the 
ball was going nowhere. We had a rainstorm down the second. It was blowing and all sorts of things. Aldo's tee shot at the fourth, going along very nicely. I was really nervous. I was trying to hold a putt, couldn't. This to go six under, and he's out. What a good try. Just give us one birdie. And another one slides past. What a shame. He's had so many putts in the 12 to 15 foot range today, and none of them have actually touched the edge of the hole. And then I then had a couple of great saves. Seventh, I missed a bunker left seven. Got that up and down. Oh, he's playing that beautifully. That has a chance. That was an exquisite shot. Well done. That's a great recovery. And a sudden straight par. Then the bunker shot on eight was amazing because that was like 30, 40 yards short, knocked it to two feet. His third shot at the Eight. Oh, well done. Well done. That's the second consecutive shot from Sam, which he's played with consummate skill. And a bunker shot at 10, and I hold about eight foot on 11. That's about the longest part I hold on the day. And Fowler establishing himself as one of the great bunker players of the championship. He's got up and down in two from his three visits to the south. Five under par. And, and then you just keep churning it out, but that the weather was wicked. Golf was going nowhere. And then now I'm in the zone, we call it now. My world was a blur. Outside what I, two steps in front of me, really was. He certainly was very focused on the golf course. And I'm sure he was in his bubble longer than most people are. When he got into that zone, if you will, I mean, he was very, very single-minded, very focused. I'm thinking, wow, this is it. You know, one great shot's going to win me this, and one lousy one's going to cost you it. So it's like, keep churning it out. So I kept churning out good shot after good shot. Faldo cannot get himself a birdie. He's had the chances, but he can't find them. 14th, and Nick Faldo's second shot. He's still five under par and playing very smooth, competent golf indeed. The swing that he's worked on so religiously and so hard for the last two or three years, standing the strain very well. Well, just will it stay on? Yes, it will. Safely on for two. And we've just heard that Paul Azinger has dropped a stroke at the 11th, so hope for Faldo. And I remember that, the finish, 16, I hit a two iron. I had 187 and I busted two and I went 182, you know, with the old into the pea soup. Faldo with something in the order of at least 11, at least a three iron here. Maintained his rhythm well, you could hear the shouts from behind. Shot. Yeah! Final tee shot here on the 16th hole for Nick Faldo. And then 17, I had 200 to cross the bunkers, the second shot across, and I'm thinking, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can keep in the airborne for 200 yards. And so I hit a five iron, then another five iron to the green for my third. And I make, obviously, part. Safely in then for Faldo, 17 in a row of them. Stays five under part, just one behind, Paul Azinger. And so it all narrows down 
to the last two groups. Eisinger still with a slender one-stroke lead. So Nefaldo comes to the final tee, one behind. And now come to the last, and you're down the fairway. Oh, that picks up the tee rather smartly. There it is, is it? Yes, beautiful drive from Faldo. So I probably needed a four iron, but I thought, well, I've just been smashed. I thought I'll smash a five. I just hit two over five, so why not? Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So I went with the, the five iron, and it, 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 it limped its way. You know, there's a big rise at the front of the green. It hit into that and killed it. So I'm now 40 feet short or something. So Nick Faldo with 195 yards to go, and all depends on this. 17 pass so far. What a time to get a birdie. What a time. Oh, unlucky. Needed one more hop, and that could have gone very close, but a fine shot from Faldo. Reception like that's enough to either frighten the daylights out of you or inspire you. He's had 17 holes so far, 17 pars, every hole in regulation. What a time to hold a putt for a birdie. And I hit an absolute wide with the first putt. It just went off straight right, five foot straight right. Overborrowed by a long one, he's left himself one of them. And then I remember looking at the leaderboard and Roger Davis was in at four. And I said, well, if you want to win, you have to hold it. Simple as that. If you want to win, you have to hold it. Well, now, this for a four. So I now got this five foot and I took it back and the little voice went, yes, and boof, and then it went. Oh, well done. So you can literally see my shoulders go boom. I felt the adrenaline just go whoosh out of me. Unbelievable how you ramped up for four days and it, my shoulders went boom. But I still had to sit and wait and I went and sat in the scorer's tent. I went and sat inside. No, I didn't. I couldn't. I didn't watch. I went and sat inside one of the offices, and I sat in between the two TVs, so I couldn't see anything. And it was like old times. Natalie was there wanting tea and everything, so I knew obviously if there was a cheer, he'd hold it. So I was just waiting for the, the crowd to tell me. So uh, I saw Zinger hit it into the bunker left, knock it out. He's got 15 foot, and you wait, wait, right, and you hear the murmur and boof, and then I've won. And that's, and all I said was, I've done it. I finally won the Open. It was just relief. There was no leaping up and down, and it was amazing. It was like, oh, you know, from turning pro to there, that's 11 years. And, you know, from 78, that's nine years from when I really, from 78 when I thought I can do this. So that's quite a journey. It's not, it's not a five-minute job, this game, is it? So that's when I just said, I've done it. Relief, I've won the Open. It was really exciting, but it was, Almost like relief, <laughs> almost to a point where it's like, wow, okay, this has worked. You know, it's like that, that experiment that we worked on sort of has come to fruition. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, re relief, excitement, I mean, all, all combined into one. And again, back to my visualization, somewhere in the weekend, I remember thinking, no point in packing. I'll be here Monday morning, 
sitting there having breakfast with a claret jug on the table doing the breakfast TV because he wishes to do that. You know, the, so I, I thought, I know I'm going to be sitting there having breakfast with the claret jug. And then I was, that's a wonderful feeling you know, to be crushed, to be open, open champion. And then and I literally for a while, almost probably a month, I literally every step I go open champion, open champion, open champion. I promise you I did. So I was obviously very proud of it. And it all happened. <laughs> it was so nice to see, you know, that the rewards of his hard work, my hard work, because we were very much a team. You know, people see the results, but they don't often see what goes on behind the scenes. You know, how, how these how these great athletes and uh, get there. I mean, what they've done, the sacrifices that they've made. You know, I mean, at the time, I mean, obviously, he had a young family too, and so yeah, it's amazing. When you're on this side. That's part of the process. You know that's part of the journey. That's part of the, the commitment. It's not I've done the right thing because I, I couldn't care about that. It was like, wow, look what I put myself through. All those tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of balls, probably you know, millions, just to get that trust to be able to strike it how I could strike it. Other people were saying, do you think you should, maybe you should think about a club pro job? Yeah, honestly, that sort of thing. And that's tough when you're doing something and you actually can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You seriously couldn't, there was nothing. It was just like, beat your head in, practicing, trying everything, doing this, and then finally when it clicked, then you saw the tunnel. But then you had to have proof of it. You know, the proof was finally winning again. The focus that he has that was able to actually do that. I mean, literally with buckets of perspiration pouring off him, you know, water bottles all over the place and, you know, practicing without a shirt on and so on. But I mean, it was like, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a hard grind. Uh, yeah, it wasn't easy, it wasn't easy, but he was uh, bound and determined. And so we would constantly say, hey, look, this, all this is gonna be worth it in the end. You know, when you, when you win the open, when you win the, that, that's why they say the first, the, the first, you know, winning at Muirfield in 87 was like, wow, okay, this is, dreams do come true. He hit it. Guess what they got to edit? Guess what the old Mackenzie ordered there? Gosh, you know, that feeling of what's needed to win a major, to win an Open. It's ten times more intense than trying to win a tournament. And people go, oh, yeah. But then there's a few have come to agree with me. It's off the charts. It's so much more. You know, it's like taking all the all your volume switches in your body, emotions and everything, senses, and just going to literally to max. And what can you handle? Where are you going to snap? <laughs> you know? So fortunately, it didn't. You know, his career took off at that point. I mean, it was there. Then, then the belief was there. You know, I mean, that's what he was lacking probably for the year prior to that was, I mean, the swing had sort of started to settle in and the changes had started to work in and there were signs of really good things, but you couldn't put it all together. You know, I, I had a very simple formula. I said, you know, you practice, you go off and compete, and you learn from it, and you practice again, and you go off and learn and compete. Really simple circle. And then somewhere in that circle, you get a, some confidence, don't you? A bit of trust, and you suddenly again, it goes up another notch when you go, oh, I can do this. So you did, suddenly in that circle, there's a bit of self-belief. Like before you then go and play the tournament, you're then to... Mm, I know what I can do now. I know how to do this. And sure, you have a success or you fail. You fail again and you learn a bit more. So you go in the next one with a little bit more knowing. I know 
what to do and how to do it. And that's self-belief, isn't it? The hero of the day is Faldo. Then when you put it all together, sort of starting at that smaller tournament uh, opposite the Masters and then um, you know, won the Spanish and then obviously winning the Open at Muirfield. I mean, it was, I mean, because, you know, Muirfield's an unbelievable test of golf, let's face it. Probably one of the toughest on the on the rotor. It, it was like, okay, well, we've done it. And so now that was the start. And so, you know, he was, obviously he achieved his one goal, had to set some other goals. And that was to become, you know, the number one player in the world, which he did. So it meant, you know, we had to get our skates on and, and, and try and get going. And, uh... You know, I obviously played well and I just keep trying to push myself to, uh, you know, try and add another one, try and add another one. We've missed out on one great story because we forgot. No, the great story is the 18 parts, isn't it? It's so funny. So I shoot 18 parts. And because you get labelled, that's the style Faldo plays, boring stuff kind of thing. And you know, I'm trying, we, we get asked all sorts of questions. We were trying to do that. And I was, I was so nervous I couldn't hold a part, bottom line. I could start with par. He's great fun. I mean, he's the best joke teller I know. So he's got a great sense of humor. And on the course, he wasn't doing jokes and that. But off the course, yeah, great fun. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed working with him. Piggybacked by Nick Faldo, Britain's Philip Parkin. Very, very, very different off the course. When he was on the course or around the course or working on his game, I mean, it was all business. Off the course, we became, you know, pretty good friends, really. I mean, he was, he was funny when he was relaxed. A great dinner companion. Going to Glen Eagles with Fanny. And because we'd sneak out, we, we went out onto the Queen's course to practice and they got a little halfway house out there and we, and we stopped. <laughs> and we'd have a quick burger for lunch without practicing like we did, which was great on our own. And she didn't know what Coleman's mustard was and thought it was like American mustard. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we got to the, you know, the hut where you could uh, buy sausage sausage bun and uh, it was mustard, Kölmann's mustard they had and uh, I came from Sweden I hadn't tried any Kölmann's mustard so uh, I said oh yeah, should, should I have some mustard? I said yeah, 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 should I put on a lot? and he's like yeah, yeah, yeah She goes oh, is this mustard like Mer yeah, that's American mustard fatty Just, she just squirts Kölmann's you know, in, in a spiral on this burger <laughs> I just poured it on, and, and this mustard is different from the mustard I was used to. Oh, it blew my head off. And then takes a bite. Oh, oh was, yeah. He, he was funny. He did a few pranks. He, he, he got me. He definitely got me a few times. <laughs> well, now, a friendly gesture, but I think that brew may be a little too strong at this particular moment. <laughs> so that was the kind, that was the kind of tricks were played on it. But anyway, I digress. Where were we? I tied the US Open in 88, playing great. I mean, couldn't putt. <laughs> so had a chance on the 18th to win the darn thing, sat it on the edge. So anyway, so to get to the Masters, this is 89, 89 Masters. And I'm feeling good again, but I keep screwing up 
every week. I'm playing well and I take an eight at the wrong time, so I'm finishing 40th and 50th and it feels horrible. But then I'm leading 27 holes later, I'm walking down the 10th, I'm leading by a couple. I think I was six under after the first 27 and then the next 27, I'm nine over. <laughs> How about that and all the rain? And so I gave myself a good kicking up the backside. I said, come on, you can still do this. And I'd swap putters, went out there, and off we go and I shoot 65 and tie and we know what happened went down the famous playoff Scott misses that and then then we went to 11 and it was literally dark and I blocked the tee shot and then I nailed this three iron and I saw it just turn to the left started it down the right of the green turned in and then I was thinking oh gosh I said I thought I'm not gonna how am I gonna tell him I don't want to go on I said you can't play the 12th it's dark but, you know, it's Augusta, how you say, I don't want to play on, <laughs> good luck. Oh, it's funny because I got to the ball and my, my good old British caddy, Andy Proger from Watford, I said to him, what do you think, Proj? And he said, oh, all looks a bit of a blur to me, Gav, he says. I said, all right then, you're going on the flag. <laughs> so I'm down this end, I never forget, I'm squeezing the blood out the, the grip. Take it back with the left hand, hit it with the right, and I just went left, right, and this thing went boom, and it's in. And so I deem that still the sweetest long putt I've ever hold in my life. The Masters champion, and of course, three tremendous victories earlier on this season in Europe. So then we come back the next year to defend, and of course, then I just signed up Fanny Sunison, just joined me on the back, which was which was huge. And amazing, and actually amazing. I met him in uh, 1987. I was at Glen Eagles when Andy Project headed for him, and uh, Andy wasn't there, so he needed a caddy for nine holes, just nine holes. He asked if someone could do it, and of course I walked the course, and I said, yeah, I could do it. So I caddied nine holes for him there. I probably had seen him around, but I'd never been that close to him. And I remember, I remember first time he came up on the tee. I mean, he was a huge player, obviously. And when he came up to the first tee, he was so tall. And um, the, the start, when I started working for him in 1990, the first five days, I mean, I, I, it started with... Uh, flying home, meeting with him in the UK, meeting his family. And then we flew out and we had five days at Ledbetter's at Lake Nona. So that was the start uh, of our working career together. So I got to learn where his swing was, wh what they were working on, what his tendencies were. I, I got to know the full scope of the swing and that. And that was a really great start. I mean... Obviously, if David wasn't in a tournament, I could look at the swing and I could help Nick and we could talk to David. And so that, that was really good. We had a, a good working relationship that way, a good team. Because obviously we're talking about it 30 years, years later. I'm still great friends with Fanny. And we do Zooms and all sorts of things and this podcast. And here she is, this young girl carrying a bag, the old pedometer's wheel. And they had, that's how they had to do the yardages, clubbed on the back, walking to double check the yardages. I carried one of those yellow wheels around with me everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I walked a few miles with that. He's prepared as diligently as ever for this championship. The thing with, with Nick is that the preparation that he put into rounds and into shots, I mean, we, you know, we'd work on... For instance, like we were at Augusta, we work on certain shots that you'd, you'd have there, you wouldn't necessarily have at 
other courses with the, with the type of grass and the sand and so on and so forth. So it was meticulously planned, like a military exercise. And I remember saying to myself, one thing I do not want to do is at 45, when it's kind of too late-ish, is have any regrets I didn't work hard enough. So I say with the knowledge I had, I, did, I gave it 100%. I pride myself on that. And they never leave, leave anything to chance. And then he obviously, he had Fanny Sonnison caddying for him, who was sort of of the, of the same mindset. And you know, together, everybody sort of had a plan for, for each major. Yeah, I mean, he was a perfectionist on the course, and I was also a perfectionist. So I think we were well suited. I, I absolutely loved working for him. And when we were on the golf course, we were really focusing on the work. We focused a lot on the strategy, how we were going to play the holes. I was, I mean, I I had every number in the book, you know. I made my own yardage book. I had more numbers than most caddies. I, I worked hard on the, on the yardages, you know. I walked the golf course beforehand in the morning to see the where the pins were exactly and I also wanted to see how firm the greens were so we we worked pretty hard on the strategy side and then we talked about it when we did our practice rounds great thing about her was she's very very professional she you know in those days had to do their own yardage books it was an eight-hour process you know they back in that time they used to put a scrape down in they or line up you know corner of the hotel and then a seagull <laughs> that sort of thing and she'd go out and look at the pins in the morning because you're pacing the pins where was your true yardage all those sort of things not that he didn't care about other tournaments but he'd, he'd always he'd, he'd sort of you know he'd never say it but he would be always using those tournaments as preparation for the big ones you know it was like you know yeah he won other tournaments but you look at his record in america i mean he only won a couple other tournaments apart from you know the masters yeah absolutely he was he was always focused, but he was extra focused when it was a major. And the Open, I mean, he loved the Open. Uh, and so did I. Still do. And she then tells me, which I didn't even know, oh, I'd never even seen Augusta on the television even. Obviously never been there. Never even seen it on television. No, no, never seen it. I mean, it was so exciting. And it took me a couple of hours to get in because, uh, you know... Am I really the caddy for Faldo? Uh, so it was, yeah, really cool. And it was probably fantastic for me because I was describing to her all the way, well, I want to do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. So great for, again, back to visualization. And off we went. First tee, Nick Faldo, Fanny Sunderson, his caddy. And then I shot 66 on Saturday, and then on Sunday I'm playing with Jack who was the, only, was the first, one and only to defend. So we stood on the first tee, and in the old days, you used to tell each other what ball number we're going to use. So I said, I guess I said, I'm using Titus 1, and Jack said, yeah, I'm using Titus 1. And so they said, yeah, I got Titus 1, and Jack says, yeah, I got ones. And there was this pause, 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 and I went, all right, I'll use a four then. <laughs> And Nick, so Nick ends up saying, well, okay, I'll change. Fatty was really annoyed. She said, you're defending, you should have changed ball. And I was like, well, we, we're, one's red and one's black. We can keep the same. I, you know, we had more ones in the bag. We, we wanted to play ones. I thought we should 
keep playing the ones, but but we didn't. He was Jack Nicklaus, and uh, he got to play the ones. <laughs> so probably fair enough, but I, I wanted us to play ones. Anyway, so I promptly take six up the first. Beautiful. Just imagine if I was doing the commentary, you know, for watching, well, he's done, you know, so he would have been done, isn't it? So, <laughs> and of course, end up making the playoff again, same again, and bang, and you know, and I win that one. Faldo was now a man to be reckoned with. He won two US Masters and was completely at ease with himself when the greatest championship of all returned to St Andrews, the home of the game. So that was the start of probably my best year. My iron shots were great there. I went to the US Open. Could have, should have, might have. You know, hit the hole to tie. I'll tell you that I went in the, the lose there. I cried <laughs> and I uh, vowed there as I sat on the loo. <laughs> I'm going to win at St Andrews. Next week on The Open Podcasts. Here is Nick Faldo, who according to some of the comic papers this morning isn't the most popular boy in town. You might say, he might give you a grunt on the first tee, but that would be it. You know, he's not going to be looking at you and saying, hey, great shot there, and hey, nice putt, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I said, that's not going to happen. Play well. Yeah, play well, guys. Play well, that was said. This is game number 21. Nick Faldo all that pressure going on. She said, are you thinking of getting a dog, she says. <laughs> and the champion golfer for the year. As the countdown to the 150th Open at St Andrews continues, the Open's official website has more content than ever before to whet your appetite for a landmark championship. Visit theopen.com today and explore our vast library of videos as well as a host of new features, championship updates, ticket and hospitality information, venue guides, every episode of the Open Podcasts, and much more. This has been an original audio production from the Open.